For the scripture reading tonight, we'll be reading Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good evening. Thank you for the prayer, Doug, and thank you for the scripture reading and the song leading. Lynn, that was very good. And um, tonight's going to be a little different. As you know, Jim's out. Jim's in San Augustine, Texas, doing a gospel meeting. And so tonight, it may be a little abbreviated tonight. I don't know how long this is going to take. It probably won't take the full. We probably will get out here a little earlier tonight, if y'all will bear with me and forgive me for that. But tonight is going to be a, uh, a lesson on a, um, on a missionary statement that we, we've done here, and I'll, I'll explain it as we go along. You know, I never, if, if for those of you that have heard me preach uh, multiple times, if you'll notice, I never use the, uh, I call it the overhead, but it's, uh, what do we call it? PowerPoint. I never use it, and the reason I don't, I'm from the old school, I call it overhead, that I'll tell you something. But there, I've always had this horror of this. You know, Jim's as smooth as silk. He gets up there and he hits his clicker and the next point is made. And I never know where I'm going to go with some of my sermons too. I mean, I may get some thought and go off on it. But once you put it up there, you have to be pretty regimented and stay with it. And I've always had this horror that if I ever did use the overhead, what if the electricity goes off? Or what if, what if the next slide's not it? Well, tonight it's show and tell. I'm going to have pictures, and I'm going to give them the sign, and they're going to go to this picture, and then we're going to go to the next, and if the pictures go out, that'll probably be the end of the sermon right there, okay? <laughs> we, Sherry and I, had the wonderful opportunity to go this weekend. We went Friday night. We went to Brownwood, Texas, and we participated on the annual uh, get-together of the Monterey School of Preaching. And we, we weren't able to go last year. Something came up, and we weren't able to go, but we were able to go the year before. Now, that's something this church has been involved in at least 15 years. I think Rick uh, Steelhead was part of this years ago. This was a, When he was an elder, this was a good project that they got going then, and we've kept it ever since, and it is a wonderful thing. We support, we don't have the oversight, but we're part of the Austin Street uh, Church in Brownwood who, who does have the oversight over this, and it's, it's us and probably 10 or 12 other churches that are involved in this. And we met, we, uh, Sherry and I, over the years, have been able to meet a lot of the uh, elders uh, from other congregations in San Angelo and, and uh, Lake Whitney and and uh, those surrounding areas there that support this. It's very fine work. And so I went down there. We went this Friday, and we Friday night it was great, uh, you know, greet and get to meet everybody, get to know everybody again. And then Saturday was the uh, was the the day, the Monterey School of Preaching Day that they have annually. And you get you get to talk to the directors down there and the elders that oversee that. And it's it's a it's a fine thing. We had to leave a little early because of the storms yesterday, and we drove back for five and a half hours in in uh, pretty bad weather, as you can see. Uh, 
But anyway, we got to go there. I want to talk about the Monterey School of Preaching. This congregation and certain individuals here have contributed heavily to that, and they really appreciate it, and it's making a big difference in people's lives, as you will see. And then I want to touch on something that, uh, that we've been doing for about a year, and that's the MANA Project. And uh, I'm enthused about that, too. And if you follow Gage Coldwater on uh, your website that you can go to, they're doing fabulous things there. So, And I've got some scriptures. We'll do an invitation, give an invitation. And those of you that weren't able to take the Lord's Supper today, you'll be able to do that, too. But I want to start with, we started off in Revelation 7. We read in verses 9 and 10, where every culture, every nation, every tongue that's ever spoken, there's few that be that find the gospel. There's few that be that are really interested in it, if you really want to know the truth. Straight is the way, narrow is the gate, and few there be that find it. But if you take a few from every generation, generation after generation, it's going to be a great multitude. God is going to surround himself in the last days with millions of people, innumerable, uncountable people that are going to love God and follow him. It's not everybody of every generation. It's few of every generation. We represent a good many here tonight, but we are few when it comes to Tyler, aren't we? We represent very little of Tyler here, just a small number. I encourage you to always be faithful. You don't want to miss out on that. I want to be there and see people of every color, of every language, of uh, every culture and nation that's ever been because they're going to be there according to Revelation 7. And I want to be there too, and I know you do. So we're going to start there, and we'll go, if you're ready, hit it. All right, this is Monterey, Mexico. Now, I know that Nat, and I don't know if you realized how blessed you were, but it's been about 16 or 17 years ago when Nat was a young, young man he took a, we wouldn't even consider doing this today, but he took a van load of our children and drove from Tyler, Texas to Monterey, Mexico, didn't you? And you know, you wouldn't do that today. It's too dangerous, and, and those dangers are real. The uh, drug cartels uh, keep everything, keep Mexico in a, in a bad way. But isn't that beautiful? It sits at the base of these, of these mountains, and I learned some things that I didn't know. The population of Mon first of all, let me, let me go with, I've got a few notes here. It's the third largest city in Mexico. It's the most educated city in Mexico. The population of Mexico is 105 million people. It is slightly less than a third of the United States. I think the United States has about 325 million. Mexico has 105 million. Monterey is 125 miles south of Laredo. And Monterey's population, could you guess, the urban sprawl of Monterey is 4 million people. I find that hard to believe. I'm not going to be able to, because of uh, time restraints, I wish I could give you all the details that we heard, how the church started in Monterey and so on. I do have a few slides I'll show you. But um, that's impressive to me. This is, the, uh, this is one of the more... Uh, this is where a lot of education is, a lot of their arts, and if you go online, if you Google, you'll see all their, they have uh, tremendous museums and stuff, and it's a very uh, sophisticated city, and it's very pretty. That, that looks very pretty to me, and I know some of you have been there, and so you would know more about it than I. This is all in theory for me. I've never been there, but you can just see the sprawl there, and there's four million people there, and I'll give you the little history that I know of, or that they knew about it. There was a man, and I don't want to get into all the details because it's not factual that we know, but there was a man in the 1830s from Mexico. He was probably a servant type, but he lived with Alexander Campbell. 
and lived with him for six years, and then he moved to Mexico, and they always thought maybe he would do great things about there, but there really is no sign that he did. It seems like the first church of Christ that was in the, the, the country of Mexico was in, um, in the late 1800s, like 1898, and it didn't last. It didn't stick. It was there for a couple years, and then it went away. After the turn of the last century, uh, it started picking up. There are 40 churches, 40 uh, churches of Christ in the city of Monterey, which I think is pretty impressive because it's, um, it's predominantly uh, Catholicism, and the church is uh, just a small, small part of Mexico, but that's, uh, that's how, that's, that's Monterey. Next. Okay, you see this little house? It, it says we began there, a 10 by 30 church building that was erected in February of 1976. Their first director down there was named David uh, Cadrina, and he has been the director up until a year ago. His health got bad. When we were there in 2017, he, he wasn't able to make it. It was the first time he had made it. His health was very poor. They thought he might die. And, but his health has, he's regained some of his health. He's no longer the director. And there's another man that's the director of Fine Man, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But David Kadrina, he started this out. He owned that property, and he owned that building. And he gave it to the church. Later, the church gave the, uh, the property back to him because they moved and relocated, so he got it back. But it started off in that little bitty 10 by 30 church building. I do not have a lot of pictures to show you, but uh, I got to see them and Sherry did too. The way they worship over there, it is uh, humbling. All church buildings, none have air conditioner or heaters. They uh, open the windows, and... Uh, and, and I'll get to some of, some of the other things that they do, but that just shows you where, that was where it started, 1976. When I say that's where it started, Monterey School of Preaching. And where it started was in 1976, they decided to establish a church. Two years later, in 1978, 41 years ago, they came up with the conception of a preaching school. And um, the Austin Street Congregation in Brownwood, Texas, has had the oversight ever since then. And uh, they've done real well. They in, in, in they come alive. I mean, it's just a passionate thing to hear them talk about the Monterey School of Preaching, and the the um, the director, as I said, was David and his wife Rosalina Cardina, and they did it for 40 years. And and they just just got out of it because of his health last year. They're still very much a part of it, but he stepped down for health reasons. And another man is running. We'll talk about that again. Okay, next. That's the school. This is the school, and uh, this is the, the where the where the students live. They take on a man and his wife and his children. They bring the whole unit in. And I went to preaching school, and some of you did too. And you know, if you were married, they insist that you do that. Bring your wife, bring your children, house there, live there, and 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 usually the women take classes too. This will this uh, this sleeps about this has 10 or 12 different apartments in it when we were there in 17 they didn't even have hot water it was cold water only and so i went up there and talked to the director i said well you know we might could help you out with uh with air conditions and with uh hot water heaters and and this and that and uh he said the hot water heater we'd like that they it'd be nice if they could have hot water to bathe with and uh, the air conditioning, uh, they wouldn't know how to act with them. They just wouldn't. And first of all, you know, Mexico's, certain parts of Mexico are pretty tropical. Certain parts are very hot. 
But this is not as hot, but it does get cold in Mexico in this part of the world. It's, Monterey is 1,770 feet high is the elevation, so that's pretty high. And uh, so, but I talked to them this, this year, and they said because of the contribution that Broadway helped them with, that they, everybody has hot water heaters now, so I was glad to hear that. And they bought computers for them to use. You know, instead of the handwriting and stuff like, like many of us did when you went to, I went to preach school 40 years ago. But now they have, uh, because of, uh, of um, uh, good people like Broadway that give money, everybody has a laptop now, and that really helps them with resources and so on. So, but these are the, these are the, uh, the housing, the apartments, and, um, and I've talked about some of the things that, that they've done. Okay, next. Okay, that's going to be kind of hard to see, isn't it? It's the structure of the school of preaching, and I'm not the best photographer. I just had to grab some things and go, but it says... Uh, the oversight since the inception of 1978 has been provided by the Austin Avenue Church of Christ, Brownwood, Texas. The elders have appointed a mission subcommittee uh, to work directly with the school on the mechanics and the budget and the operations. Two elders serve on this committee, and regular contact is kept with the director of the school, and they make two um, uh, visits a year and sometimes three. They go down there three times, and it's uh, um, Bill Persh. And the other man is Tony Salazar. Those are the two elders, and they're very, very accomplished men. They have a great love for the lost. And uh, Sherry and I sat at the table with both those men, had multiple conversations with them. And they go two or three times a year. And not only them, all the churches that support this at different times. We talked to a man in San Angelo, Raphael, he goes. And, and um, Nat, your friend, was there. Um, uh, Brian Broswell from uh, Camp Ida, that we, he's a director out there. He was there. He said he goes every year. He was glad to see us there. So there's a lot of churches in Texas. It's all a Texas thing that, that supports this, and they're doing very well down there. And so these two elders, they have um, um, Brownwood Church is about 450 people, and they have 11 elders. Can you imagine that? And over 20 deacons. And uh sound like they'd be tripping over each other, don't they? But they have different they have different jobs and but these two elders their their uh, main responsibility is the is the uh, Monterey School of Preaching and they're very uh, very conscientious about what they do down there. Okay, let's see next. Okay, now this I this I found very impressive. I've gone to preaching schools. I talked to an instructor of mine oh a month or so ago and he said, "Have you heard? You know, it's been four decades since I went." And he said, have you heard from any of the guys? He was excited. And I said, I've heard from a few. Facebook opened that up where you hear from people that you haven't heard from in 30, 40 years. I don't know your experience. Let me tell you my experience. I went to a preaching school, and there was probably 30 men in my class. The, the class of, above me was probably 30. And my checking of that since then was terrible. Maybe... 10 or 15 percent, maybe 10 or 15 percent of those men are still faithful, and less than that would still be preaching. Look at these hard numbers. And what kind of school would post these numbers too? I mean, this isn't the kind of stuff that you, this is that kind of stuff you kind of you keep in the back office. You wouldn't necessarily want to show, but they're very transparent. And look here, they've had 274 students that have graduated from Monterey School of Preaching since 1978. 18 they don't know about. I would say those 18 are unfaithful. You don't know anything about them. They probably have uh, gone underground. 
24 no longer preaching are their faithful. If you add that up, 24 and 18 is, uh, what is that, 42? So 42 out of 274, you do the math on that, percentage-wise. 12 are faithful members and working in local congregations. 220, 80% still preach faithfully. That's unheard of. That's unheard of. And then... uh, uh, 74% 74% of that number preach in Mexico. That's what they prefer. They prefer to train those men and stay in country. But some go to countries like Guatemala or uh, Bolivia or, or, or um, Peru and some of the Chile. So, so they're South American Latin countries, but the school really pushes to stay in Mexico. Okay, here's another thing. I don't know that if I have it on the slide, but let me say something. There's a trend and it's changing, and I'm glad. I, you know, even as a child, when I'd hear that, I think that's not right. But there's there's missionaries that go out into the world and they find a group of people and they prop them up and they leave them propped up forever. They never teach them to support themselves. They're only as good as the American dollars that hit their pocket. And the day the dollars stop, the church is gone. That sounds like a money scheme, doesn't it? That's what that sounds As long as you pay us, we'll stay faithful. The day the dollars stop, the church is gone. They don't do that. The Manna Project doesn't do that. They teach it. Most of these people come out of a vocation to start with. They're farmers, orange pickers, hog raisers, whatever, and they come to school. The, the, um, the, preacher, the church in Brownwood supports them, pays for them to be there, for their books and stuff, the day they graduate, it's over. These people go back and work, and they, they have their vocational job, and they preach. They go back to work. They've only taken the two years off to get the lesson, to, to study, and then they go back to what they know. If it's tent building, they go back to tent building. But they showed slide after slide, and people pick oranges all day long, and then they go preach. Or they raise chickens all day long, or they work in the sugarcane fields, and then they preach. The purpose of that two years is to to teach these men how to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they go back. The church doesn't support them anymore. And that's the way it ought to be. It really ought to be. So there's that. But these numbers are staggering to me because if you look at any preaching school, any college, anywhere that teaches theology, you'd never have that 80% number. Never would have it. Next. Okay, this is the breakdown of what it costs. All right, here's the good thing about the American dollar is strong over there. It's 18 to 1. So 18 pesos makes up $1, okay? And so you see there a single student costs 371 a month to support. Uh, marriage students, 520 $30 each for a kid. They pay, for their, they, pay, uh, they pay for them to be there, and they pay for their books and their insurance and their child care where they can be there. And so... You know, 500 bucks here wouldn't get you very far, would it? Multiply it by 18, and that's how many pesos it takes. So the American dollar is strong, and so it helps to, uh, you know, here it's about, honestly, it's about $3,000 a month to support a man. For his full support for him and his family to be in a preaching school and not work, he needs about three grand. It's $500. $500 goes a long way over there. And they're happy to happy to be there, and so that's kind of the that's what it costs to send a family. Uh, a young man is 371, and then a family is what you see there, uh, and that's per month. And so it cost it cost uh, 
It cost Brownwood Church of Christ, the Austin Church of Christ in Brownwood, it cost them $100,000 a year to support it. And then they pick up another $100,000 a year from all the other congregations that support it. So $200,000 a year runs that school and has for 41 years. And so I'm just letting you know this congregation supports that. Some of the individuals here have really supported that, and I'm proud of you for that. I just want you to know where your money's going, and, uh, and I'll have something to say at the end, of the end of the lesson for that. I said this would be abbreviated. If I keep talking, it won't be, will it? Okay, next. They have gotten modernized. You see the guy on the computer? He's Skyping. He's an online student. You know, our brother Jim Laws, he preaches, uh, or he teaches in a school in Tennessee, and he does it two days a week from his home in his pajamas. Now, he tells me he puts a tie on. Now, he says he puts a tie on. I say, yeah, but are you wearing pants underneath, you know? But he gets up every morning, uh, two, two mornings a week, and he puts his tie on, and, and he says, I tell them students sometimes, hey, straighten up, wake up, you know? But he's got a Skype, and he sees uh, 20-something students in a class, and that's the wonders of our, our modern technology, that you can teach from home. This guy, you know, they have one or two students that can't come to, they can't come to um, uh, Monterey and live. They live in Bolivia or they live somewhere. So they can be taught online like that. So that's a good thing, too. Next. Okay. Monterey School of Preaching. Uh, Escuela de Pre... Whatever. Okay. <laughs> that is where you, that is their website. So all of you look that over. Feel free. You can go and you see the top up at the top. It has all the different tools, uh, bar tools that you can go to. That's their website. So if you want a much more comprehensive than what I'm doing, you can go to their website and see all about it. I just want to thank you. I think this is very worthy. I want to thank you for your support. I want you to. I want to thank you for your great love for the lost. Too. These men are really doing a good job preaching the gospel all over the uh, Latin American world. And so I'm glad to. Uh, Glad to be a part of it myself. Next. This man, and I've got his name, is his, uh, Jesus and Carmen Jimenez. And they are, he is the new director there. Fine man. He went to school there and graduated from, that, uh, from the Monterey School of Preaching. Then he came to the States and he went to uh, Memphis School of Preaching in Tennessee and he got a degree there as well. And he is uh, an elder in the church there, and he is the new director, and he's a fine man. We had met him several years ago. He was very much a part of it, but now he's the director because David uh, Cardinia had to step down for his health. All right, next. All right, I'm going to start there. Look at that pretty guy right there. That is Gage Coldwater. Gage and his wife, Kelly Coldwater. I think that's a neat name, don't you? Gage Coldwater. And I'm going to tell you something about this fine young man. Two years ago, there was a terrible hurricane that came into Houston, and it flooded the world. And uh, there were certain people here that were uh, very concerned about uh, that part of the world, the flood and stuff, and, and uh, wanted to help, and this church wanted to help. So we started calling around to find out who needed the most help. And it didn't matter where I called, I, because we were sitting high and dry, and uh, affluent, and we felt guilty because that part of the world, millions of people were inundated by flooding. I had cousins, I was talking to them every couple of hours in Houston, and they were really thinking they were going to have to leave their homes, and some of them did. It, I mean, it flooded out their house. But I started calling around um, um, 
Corpus Christi got hit hard. Port Aransas got hit hard. So I was calling those churches. It didn't matter where you called. Everybody said, oh, call Vider. Vider's the one that got it. It didn't matter who you called. They said, oh, we're, we're hurting, but go to Vider. Vider needs the help of the, uh, of the Lord's people more than anybody. So I called around. I talked with them, and uh, we gathered up some money. And Teresa and Sherry and myself, we rode down there. And long before, long, 30 miles before we got to Vider, you started seeing garbage on the side road as high as the beams in this church. And, I mean, it was terrible, the flooding that went on down there. But when we got to Vider, Vider's located right on the uh, I-10 interstate, and there's a big um, uh, overpass or viaduct there. Vider had 20 feet of rain. Can you imagine that? The... Uh, the uh, Natchez River goes into the Gulf right there, and it backed up. And I, I gave you reports that there were they were riding bass, the elders were riding bass boats over people's homes. The ridge of the roof was below the bass boat. They went over it, and uh, this congregation really stepped up, and a lot of churches did in Texas. And so we carried some money down there, and I talked to the to this young man right here. I talked to him, and I said, "We've got some money. We'd like to come and." And, uh, and help you if we could. He said, come on. So the three of us drove down there. Bear with me a minute. I'll never forget this. <clears throat> they had a little makeshift store in there, and they were just passing out anything and everything to people that, need, that, that had a need. And, you know, I really expected him to be appreciative of the, uh, the money that we were taking. But I didn't expect what I saw. And please forgive me, it's a little emotional, but the, this young man, when I walked in and sat down at his desk and I said, I've got a check for you and we want to help. And I gave him the check and he broke down and cried. It was sad. But it was rejoicing too. But he just broke down and cried. He said, I've never seen anything like this, how benevolent the Lord's people are. And how much good, I've never seen, he said, this is the worst disaster that could have ever happened. But it pales in comparison to the goodness that I that I see. He said it, it has. Uh, how do he say it? He said it's it, it's uh, reassured him on the goodness of people. You know, we're always sitting around talking about how bad people are. Well, there's good people too, and and the Lord's people really stepped up. And so I gave him the check and wished him well. And they they he said, well, I tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to, you know, they had, I forget how many members had lost their homes. It was terrible. I mean, everything. And he said, it'll be a while, but when we get on our feet again, I'd like to come to Tyler and like talk to y'all. And I said, well, you sure can. So he came about a year ago. Him and his wife came, and Sherry and I went out to eat with him. And, and really, he's, he's a card, very funny guy. And he's part of the MENA project. And they go to Africa, and they teach people how to grow gardens and how to be self uh, relying, self-supporting, and they, of course, preach the gospel and baptize uh, hundreds of people in this. Well, he came, and he gave a very good report, and he was glad to be here. He's very appreciative, and if you'll remember, he told us about all that went on down there. And then, uh, and then ever since then, once again, we always have good people here that want to support a good cause, and, and they do, and this church now gives him X amount of money a, a month to support him. And if you follow him... What he's doing in Tanzania is unbelievable. And he's a hard worker, and uh, we've got some pictures. Next. 
there's the garden. Now, him and his family, they're from the panhandle of Texas and the panhandle of Oklahoma, and all his family have degrees in agriculture. And so they know about farming and the, uh, the proper way to farm and the, the greatest utilization of water and fertilizer. So he's gone to Tanzania, and he, he's taught them how to garden over there. You see the little pigs, aren't they sweet? And... Uh, he, but they, they farm for tilapia, and he said tilapia wasn't the best way to get the be, best bucks, so they got rid of the tilapia. They're farming catfish. They grow uh, manioc. They grow all these different plants that, that uh, uh, feed those hungry children. They're doing a great thing benevolence-wise in that they're feeding and teaching people how to be self-reliant, but all of it is about what? Teaching and preaching the gospel. And he's doing a great... Uh, and if you don't follow him on... on uh, on uh, Facebook, you ought to, because they're doing great things over there. And he will be coming through here soon, and uh, he will be giving us a, a report there as well. I want to go over, I'm going to utilize this whole night and talk to you about what we're doing as far as missions. And I want to tell you about what Broadway's doing as far as missions. We are currently supporting the following. We're supporting ourselves, and that's important. We keep the lights burning. We keep these grounds looking as best we can with this old building, and uh, you, as you, you hear the you hear the central air blowing, we're living good, guys. We we if it's hot, we're cool in here. If it's cold, we're warm in here. We're living good. Uh, the preachers are paid most of the time, and everybody is being supported well. We're supporting ourselves, but because of your good giving, these are the other things we're doing. Scott Richards is uh, is a missionary that we support here. He's in Africa. He's in Asia. He's uh, in uh, he's been in India. He is coming next Sunday and will give us a, a AM report about his work. We're supporting the Monterey School of Preaching, which we've been talking about tonight. We support the Mana Project, which you've just seen. The ladies' class that meets on Wednesday, they support a preacher every year from Brown Trail. They contribute to that. That's something they do on their own. And soon to be, we're going to be uh, supporting Preston McElyay as he goes to Brown Trail for two years. So that's six different events that we support, six different entities that we support. And the purpose of it is for what? Preaching the gospel, carrying uh, the word to the, uh, carrying a, a wonderful, bright word to a dark and dying world. And I'm very proud of you, and I'm, being, I'm very proud to be a part of that as well, too. And I thank you for that. The future looks bright. The gospel's being preached. If you would, turn with me to Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, we read the following, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. He has all the authority. For what he did, he was obedient to the Father. He laid down his life for us a, uh, uh, to redeem us from our sin. And on doing that, because he was faithful to the Father, all authority in heaven and earth, and when you go to Philippians 2, and under the earth, is given unto him. And this is what, with all that authority, this is what he asks us to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what God wants us to do. You know, we could have done it before, but sometimes uh, you see that, it's, that you're, you're not organized enough. 
you don't have enough money, you don't have enough skills, and I, I just, I'm very thankful that this congregation in the last 10 years, I know it has really stepped up more and more, and we've gotten the experience and the funds to be able to do this, and I'm very proud of that. Now then, we will go back to Revelation 7, and I want to read that. Two verses were read, but I want that whole thought read, and then we'll end it with that. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After these things, then now this is John under, uh, under uh, he's seeing a vision, and he's seeing the vision of around the throne of God. He's before the throne of God, and this is what he sees. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered and said to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We have a beautiful scene there, and I want you to understand something. I'm 58 years old, and I've never been persecuted for my faith. Never. If I've ever, pers- if I've ever been persecuted for my faith, I persecuted myself. I've lived it. I can say this. Maybe you can. I think everybody in here can, though. I've never been persecuted for my faith. I've been uh, openly be able to, to live and preach and, and, and uh, pursue this but it's not that way in every country. We read in Revelation 7 there, that is uh, reminiscent of the first century where people were given their lives, given their property, uh, losing their families, everything for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, and God didn't forget it. There's going to be a great day coming, and he's going to wipe away every tear. And it's going to be a eternal life. Eternal happiness, whatever, you know, these are symbolic things, but the, the greatest thing that can happen is going to happen if we'll just be faithful to the end. But keep in mind in your affluence, keep this in mind that the rest of the world doesn't live that way. Other people have it much harder. And on the strength of it, oftentimes their faith is much greater too because of the, the, uh, the persecution that they suffer. And you can only imagine if you lived in a Muslim country what that would be like if you were a Christian. There would be people that wanted to kill you and kill your family. So as we sit here in our affluence, and I don't apologize for it, and you shouldn't either. God has blessed this country very much, and we're very blessed to be Americans and to live here. 
but we should do good with our resources. And I am very, very proud to say that Broadway's doing well, and it's because of your goodness and your benevolence, and I thank you for that. Tonight I want to offer an invitation, and here it is. We've talked about very good, you, you've seen me kind of get emotional a little bit, and I do that way, and I don't apologize for it. I, I like having a tender heart. But, you know, the gospel is real. This life we live is real. And hereafter is real. It's as real as this life. And we're, when we take our last breath here, we will take our first breath there. And it'll be a breath of eternity. It'll be forever and ever. So we want to continue to do the good things that we're doing, continue to help, and even add to them. If good Lord keeps blessing us like this, we'll add to it. If you're not a Christian tonight, you ought to be. Everything I've talked about is tonight, and they're, they're good things. It's all in living the Christian life. God asks us to repent of our sins. In Luke 13, 3, he says, if we don't repent, we'll likewise perish. It's a requirement of God, and you need to. I need to. Change your life. If you're living a sinful life, change it. There's something far better that awaits you. Confess his name before men. Confession is made unto salvation in the heart if you confess that Jesus is the, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he asks us to be baptized, to, to die to the old man, the old man of sin that has ruled our life for so long. Let that go. Take on the new life, and it's a good life. And he says when you are baptized and you come up out of that water, your sins are forgiven. Walk in a newness of life. And then having done that, be faithful. If you haven't done that tonight, you can do that. We'd love to see you do it. We'd love to help you in that if we could. Once again, I want to thank this fine congregation for all that you do. And I just hope and pray that in the, in, in the future that we can not only do this, but even do more. If you're subject tonight, the gospel comes together. We stand and sing.